Well, good morning. I'm Joel, one of the pastors, and uh, I'm excited to be able to preach today about anxiety because I think it, anxiety, worry, depression, uh, while they are, there are differences, they are all certainly within the same family, and uh, we're going to be able to look at what the Bible says to be able to help us with some of those issues. Um, because if you didn't know, there's a little bit of anxiety in the world today, right? Since, I think since Tuesday, um, you know, I, I think just the emotional roller coaster or some of the things that are happening, um, I would say political. I, my thing is with the politics out there today, let me go ahead and say, I know I preached about it a couple of weeks ago, but with politics, it's, it's not just about the politics and, and the hatred and the discord that's happening within our nation, right? There just doesn't seem to be many civil conversations anymore, and there's so much anxiety and worry that goes along with that. So we're going to be able to dive into that. But first, I want to do this. I want to say thank you, and I also want to give you an invitation. All right? Um, I want to say thank you because uh, we had about 11 or 12 weeks off last spring because of the pandemic. And then May 31st, uh, we made a decision to start meeting together again. We think it's incredibly important for the people of God to meet. Um, we think it's a biblical issue. We know that churches can do that in a variety of different ways. So hear me say that, right? Um, but we think it's incredibly, massively important for the people of God to come together, to be encouraged, to hear truth, to even live in conviction and in accountability together. And so as we've done that, the church, you have been incredibly faithful in, in your giving. And I want to say thank you. Um, we have made massive, significant changes over the last eight or nine months. We have plans for more so that we can have the influence that we believe God is wanting us to have and to stay grounded in the word of God. So I want to do two things. I want to say thank you for that. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we had a 30-some-odd percent increase last year in the budget, and yet... God has provided, and we cannot say thank you enough. Second, I want to invite you to participate in it. Um, we don't talk about it a lot, and uh, some, some people are like, you may be new here, and you're like, oh, man, see, they're talking about money. We talk, I don't mind, I, I talk about money because it's not mine to begin with, it's the Lord's. So, um, and so I just want to say, I want to invite you to be a part of it. I've been in ministry for over 25 years now. I've never been as excited to to be a part of a ministry as I am right now at Chapel Point. Never, never, never. Um, and, uh, and so, one, I want to say thank you. Two, I want to invite you. There are boxes on the walls if you want to participate. Um, there in the other venues as well as we get to partner together to reach this community. Um, I look at the definition of anxiety. Like, all kinds of things give us anxiety, right? Me speaking about money right then made some of you like, ah! Right? You're like, oh, no, don't, relax. It's okay. It's not yours to begin with. Um, and so we have anxiety when it comes to health. Right? I, I know that when I'm sick, it's one thing. I'm like, okay, I'm sick, big deal. But when I remember I had my first kid, and my son got like a cold. And I was like freaking out. I was like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, uh, of course, my wife looks at me, and she's like, just tell them what you tell everybody else. Suck it up. And... So, you know, we, we get anxious about different things. For some of you, you get anxious about your marriage. Maybe some of you are going, hey, I don't know if our marriage is going to make it. And there's anxiety that comes with that. Uh, maybe you get anxiety or worry or even step into depression because maybe kids that you have and they're older in life, but the decisions that they're making. Uh, maybe you're not sure if you're going to be able to keep the job that you currently have. And uh, you're the primary 
winner of, uh, uh, or bringer inner, <laughs> bringer inner of income. And, uh, and so you're going, what do I do with that? Uh, anxiety comes from, for, for all different reasons. Politics, right? Um, the hatred that exists today. But I looked up a definition, and this is what I found. And get ready, because I'm going to give you a whole lot of Bible to write down today and some homework to be able to do. Um, definition of anxiety. It says, a feeling of worry, a feeling of nervousness or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. And I, I like this definition because one of the things that I think resonates with me is we have this anxiety in life and this worry in life right now, primarily because when, when, we, when we feel like there's an uncertain outcome, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen? Right? It can be anything in life. You're uncertain of the outcome and your race starts uh, or your heart starts to race in a different way. I remember uh, my wife is from Louisville, Churchill Downs, Kentucky Derby. Um, anybody know what that is? Horses, right? All right, so it's, it's the craziest two minutes in sports, they say something like that. The, the race lasts for two minutes. And in those two minutes, um, and, and I'll wager big money. Like I think one year I wagered wager like a Jolly Rancher. Um, so that tells you about me and betting. Don't really do it. So um, here it is, though. In those two minutes, my heart starts to race. And that, I'm like, is my horse going to win? And, of course, my horse never wins. I lose a Jolly Rancher every year. And, but that, your heart starts racing because of the uncertain outcome. You don't know what's going to come of it. Some of us, we can watch a movie three times. And at the end, we know what's going to happen. It's like Titanic. And you're still starting to sweat. I'm like, well, you already know the outcome. But that's what happens. We have this anxiety and this worry in life because of an uncertain outcome. And anxiety and depression and, wor and worry, what, what we need to understand is it's a very real thing. I looked up online. You can, you can go there as well if you want to. And I looked up Anxiety Association. And actually, it came up with the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. And you can go to that website and you can press facts. And it will give you different facts. And, and this is what it says. It says, anxiety disorders... And this is speaking about anxiety and depression. I told you they're in the same family. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting over 40 million adults in the United States, 18 and older. That's 18.1% of adults. So almost one out of five adults, that would represent a lot of you now, actually have an anxiety disorder. It also tells us that that means you're three to five times more likely to even go to the doctor when you're not even sick, maybe. Right? And you just worry and you have this anxiety about everything. And it can be from what's going to happen with your kids and, the, and, and politics and money all the way to you cannot make a decision about what you're going to wear that day. And I'll go ahead and help you on that. This is not biblical. If you, if you stress and, and have anxiety about what you're going to wear, let me help you out. I wear a pair of blue jeans and either a blue or a light blue shirt every day. So... You're welcome. It just simplifies everything. But hear me say this. You, I, I need, I, you really need to hear this. Anxiety disorders, depression, that it is a real biological condition for many that needs medical and psychiatric uh, treatment for some. And what I need to make sure you hear, I, am, I do not have my PhD in that. Um, I, know, I know scripture, so he, hear me out for a moment. 
It is not unspiritual to receive counseling. I, I grew up, not in the, not, this wasn't in my church, but I think I'm in that age bracket. I grew up in the South, like where anything, um, if you couldn't overcome it by yourself, you weren't strong enough. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And yet we know that one out of five adults nearly suffer with actually an anxiety disorder. It is not unspiritual to receive counseling. It's not unspiritual to, to take medication when you need to take medication and to receive help. So hear me say this, because again, I grew up in that generation um, in which I just, you would hide everything and you would keep it to yourself because you knew that you were weak if you had a struggle. That is not true. God gave us one another to help us through the battles of life. So that, you need to hear that. But now hear this, when it comes to anxiety and worry, is it also a spiritual issue that can even be sinful? Yes, it is. You might not have been expecting me to say that. It can, it's a both and. Mind and heart, they work together. And we're going to be able to speak about that today because you need to remember that Satan despises you and his goal in life is destroy, to destroy you. So first passage, John 10.10, 10, right? John 10.10 10 is, this, is this passage that tells us, and it's referring to Satan, and it says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have an abundant life. So Satan comes to, to steal, to kill, and to destroy you, and yet here's Christ saying, but I've come so that you might have abundant life. Satan is a, de a, de a deceiver. He deceived in the Garden of Eden. He continues to do the same thing today. And he just wants to pull you down no matter what. Right? I, I remember um, you can go to some of those beaches. I've been to one before with my family where even in lakes in Michigan, you have the, the tramps, right? The water tramps. You see those all over the place. But you also have like an iceberg on the water. It's not a real iceberg. It's an inflatable. And you try to climb up the top and you play king of the mountain. Anybody? Right? Come on. Anybody? Get out a little bit, people. It's so much fun because I dominate my children. And um, so you're trying to climb up, but it's, it, here's what anxiety and depression often feels like, I think, to me, and stress. And I've, I've, I've walked through some of it in my life before. And um, it feels as though you're trying to get to the top. And as soon as you're starting to get to the top, somebody jumps up and grabs your leg, and they just keep pulling on you. And in time, you're like, oh, I'm going to whoop them. But after a while, you're just exhausted. And they just keep trying to pull you down every time you start to get to the top. And that's what anxiety and depression and, and worry can do to you. Where you feel like you're trying to move forward and you're trying to get ahead. But every single time you're trying to get ahead, something's pulling you down. And that weight, at first you're like, I can handle this. But then after time you're like, I can't handle this. And that's what begins to happen. I, I experienced it when, and, and after 46 years of living, I've learned a lot about myself. When I was younger, because of that mentality that society had where I had lived, um, I was the guy who felt like I always had to achieve more. Right? Left school early, college, all that stuff. I, I just ran, ran, ran. And it's not because I was smart. It's because, honestly, it was out of insecurity of feeling like I had to accomplish more. And nothing was ever enough 
In fact, one of the things I didn't have was this thing called contentment, a passage that changed my perspective on worry and stress and anxiety is Philippians 4.11. Now you're thinking, some of you are like the scholars and you're going, he was going to say Philippians 4, 6, and 7. No, I'll get there. It was Philippians 4.11. And the reason that shifted my thinking is it talks about being content in every circumstance, in every situation. And I was never content no matter what. I had to accomplish more. I had to do more. I couldn't ever slow down. And I learned that I was trying to to gain everything by what I could accomplish. And I was never living in the freedom by what Christ had already accomplished for me. Um, I have a a friend who came up this weekend from Atlanta. And don't worry, I told him that every November is just like this outside. Um, But we were speaking and... um, He had said uh, something very similar to this. Um, In Christ, your identity, please write this down. It's not even up here. If you would write this down. In Christ, your identity is received, not achieved. In Christ, your identity is, is received, not achieved. And I was trying to achieve it in every single way possible, and it created a stress and an anxiety in my life where nothing was ever enough. Not because I had to have more for self, but because I never found fulfillment in what Christ had already done for me. And I felt like I had to earn it. And there was a stress and an anxiety that came over me. So what I want to do is I want to walk through some biblical lessons on anxiety. I'm going to give you six of them. Six biblical lessons on anxiety. And the very first thing that ties in with what I've already been speaking about is this, is I need you to know, don't be surprised that there's a struggle. Don't be surprised that there's a struggle. A passage that I always look at is 1 Peter Peter chapter 5, um, specifically 7 and 8 and 9, but I want to lead up to it. Uh, with some other verses. So just leave this up here if you would, and I'll, I'll get to it in just a moment. It says, likewise, this is 1 Peter 5, you can write 1 Peter 5, 5 through 9. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then he says in verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him. Casting what? All of your, okay, you can do better. Casting all of your what? On him. It doesn't say keep all your anxieties, keep all your worry, keep all of your stress, make sure that you're wigging out about absolutely everything. He says, no, cast all of your anxieties on him. And then it says, why? Because he cares for you. Some of you still don't even think that you matter to God. And yet what you're going to hear today is you matter to God. And yet he's already accomplished everything you need to have in life. And so you look at this as humble yourselves, right? He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. I told you, he hates you. He hates you because he hates God. Says he came to what? Still kill and destroy. 
When we can start recognizing that Satan is not only real, but that Satan is very serious about your destruction, then we'll actually start fighting in a manner that is godly. Seeking someone to devour, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Don't be surprised there's a struggle. This is, listen, Peter's writing this to the church. Um, this is in Rome. This is during a time where uh, Nero was the emperor and persecution of Christians was very real and it was intense. You don't think there was anxiety and worry and like, what are we going to do now? Every single thing that is wrong that happens in the world, we get blamed for it. Literally, that's what was taking place. So the tensions are high. It's like this, this heaviness on the people. So don't be surprised that there's a struggle because now he's writing to them. Hey, can, listen, he's going to exalt you at the proper time. Just cast all, cast all the worries, all the tensions, all the anxieties, cast those on him. You got to remember, listen, you forgot, he cares for you. So don't be surprised that there's a struggle. Second thing. We need to start fighting with godly weapons. I'll jump into this in a second, but this is, this is how I, I would characterize it. Several years ago, um, my family, with all the kids, we keep getting more and more of those Nerf dart guns. I think we have 25 to 30 of them. Um, and they're just, they're a lot of fun. I, I enjoy it because, again, I dominate my kids. And... Um, it's very simple. I take the older two against the younger two. And I'm like, yeah. Um, and so we're running around. And we're, sometimes it, we'll get the whole family. We'll get other people to play. It'll be like four on four, five on five. And we turn off all the lights except for just light a couple of candles because that's not dangerous at all to be shooting things. And Anyway. Um, but that's us. And so here I am. Even my wife will crawl behind the couches. And we're like, anyway, it's so cool. Anybody in this afternoon? It's awesome. All right. Um, so we're doing all of this. And the game was over. So you have to know when you're in the game, but if you keep, here's what I've learned. If you keep playing the game and mama doesn't want you to keep playing the game, so you already know where I'm going to go with this because I thought it was fun to keep winning and uh, I'm a little competitive. And so we're still, my kids, myself, we're all running around still shooting the guns and my wife had decided it was time to bake. And so she's in the kitchen and we're still shooting everywhere every once in a while she's a casualty against the head or something like that and finally she had enough and she took her spatula and she raised up and she's like that's it and we just stared at her i'm like honey that's a plastic spatula what are you gonna what are you you bringing a spatula to a gunfight <laughs> i won't tell you what she said after that um Too many of us don't recognize what Satan is trying to do, and we are bringing a spatula to a gunfight. We need to be, bring godly weapons to the fight. And we're walking around like, oh, I guess this is just the way it's going to be, and I'm going to worry about this, or I'm going to have anxiety about this, and we're bringing spatulas to a gunfight. And here's the thing is, we've got a chest full of weapons that will kick Satan's tail. Can I say that? And we're walking around as though we're victims. We're not victims in Christ. 
We need to fight with godly weapons. When a lion, it tells us in 1 Peter 5, right, this lion is coming up on you. The adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. And you would think that when the, the, when, when the lion comes up to your face that you would just tuck, tail, and run. In the name of Jesus Christ, I don't have to tuck, tail, and run. I already win. Like that, we've got to understand He's also writing in 2 Corinthians, he's talking to the people of Corinth, and Paul hung out in Corinth for quite a while, and, and here he is, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, it says, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Stop acting like we're in a game of dominoes, we're not. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but ha- listen to this, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power, godly power, eternal power, unlimited power to destroy strongholds. Wow. Hey, Paul's making it clear that he's not waging war against the flesh. It's a spiritual issue. And so he's going to use weapons that are suited for the war. Here's one of the things I'd like to invite you to do is in the next two days, everybody read Ephesians chapter 6. I preached on Ephesians a few years back. Um, Ephesians 6, only six chapters, but it's great. It's the armor of God. Uh, my wife, is one of her favorite chapters. She reads it all the time. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we need to actually rely on God for the battle. And that means we need to fight with godly weapons. And so what I want to do, I'm going to run through very quickly Ephesians chapter 6. that lists the different components, uh, different parts of the armor of God. And then I'm going to tell you also as I run through them the instead ofs. Because a lot of times instead of fighting with what God has given us, we choose something different. So the very first thing it starts with is belt of truth. And instead of fighting with the belt of truth, a lot of us are fighting with, with manipulation. Right? It's where you, you speak to something, but not fully. You speak to something, but it's not accurate. It's, it's when you speak to something, but you twist it and you, you allow it to be deceiving. Manipulation is lying, by the way. It's one of the things I'm trying to teach my kids. Just tell me straight up. No, no, don't tell me about your grades according to how you want me to hear them. I said, how are your grades? And then they start with, well, let me tell you where I think they could, what they could become. I'm like, no. Stop learning from your father and just speak honestly. <laughs> right? It's like, don't manipulate, just tell me. And instead of putting on the belt of truth, we manipulate our words and we tell a story the way we want to tell them. And sometimes we're telling ourselves false stories. So instead of fighting with the belt of truth, often we're fighting with manipulation. Instead of fighting with the bre- breastplate of righteousness, you know, the breastplate of righteousness is because God knew that the combat would be up close. It would be personal. It protected your vital organs, your heart and your lungs and everything else. And he's saying, listen, fight with the breastplate of righteousness on not with the superficial stuff, the outward appearance, and you're going to make sure you look great, but inside you're wilting. Fight with shoes of readiness. Literally, it's shoes of readiness. Be alert, be watchful, right? Be ready to go. Don't, don't put on your shoes of apathy. Well, I'll handle that later when I have to. We need to fight with the shield of faith. 
right? The shield of faith is what, it's made for close combat. It's what lets you fight up close and, and, and not to tuck tail and run because you know you're going to be in this battle, but you can rely on God to do it. We need to put on the helmet of salvation. We need to put, use the sword of the spirit. We need to recognize that we need to fight with godly weapons, perseverance. Next week, I get to preach on suffering. The church has done a miserable job teaching on suffering. And we we need to walk through the suffering, walk through the hardship, ready and using godly weapons. John Calvin says, for nothing... It's a really good quote. It says, For nothing is more opposed to the spiritual wisdom of God than the wisdom of the flesh. And nothing more opposed to his grace than man's natural ability. Finally, uh, uh, or not finally, a third, we need to pray. Uh, we, we speak often here at Chapel Point as being a transformed follower of Jesus. And we also speak about Uh, Our default settings, our default settings are prayer and discipleship. We need to pray not as simply a defensive, but also we need to pray as an offensive. We need to pray. One of the the passages I always think about when it comes to prayer um, is recognizing that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, be alert, be watchful. Some of the translations would even take that to to lean in to, to say, be prayerful, right? That is how you are alert. That's how you are watchful. You don't wait for things to collapse and use prayer as a crisis mechanism. You pray because you trust God to give you the strength to walk through the crisis and to walk through the difficulty. Another passage is... Um, Luke chapter 9, but also Mark chapter 9, you have this thing called the transfiguration. Uh, Luke chapter 9 is primarily known for this transfer, uh, the transfiguration where you've got uh, Peter, James, and John, the three closest to Jesus Christ. It's also known for Luke 9, 23, where it says, take up your cross daily and to follow me. But here he is in Luke uh, chapter 9, also uh, Mark chapter 9, and it says this, this guy has a son who has, who's been possessed with this unclean spirit, right? You can imagine that anxiety and the worry here's this boy who's possessed with this demon this spirit and it was destroying his life which is what satan desires to do to destroy your life and the father came to jesus and said hey listen the disciples they they couldn't cast it out and later on the disciples like why couldn't we do this and jesus says listen this kind can come out only by prayer what a moment for the disciples can only come out by prayer. Prayer reveals your faith in the power of God. Not that God does what you want, but it shows you and it gives you the endurance and the, the energy, the, 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 the perseverance to walk through in the midst of hard. So when you talk about anxiety, one of the things that we need to be doing is praying in the offensive, not just the defensive. Fourth, we need to take Jesus' hand. Uh, another passage I, I want to encourage you with. I, I love what happens in, in Matthew chapter 14. It's such a cool story. This is when uh, Peter and others are in the boat. Jesus walks out on water like, what? Um, and Peter is like, hey, if it's really you, I want to walk out to you. 
And so we, we know in this passage it says, Lord, if it's you, command to me to come to you on the water. This is uh, verse 29. Jesus looks at him and says, come. So Peter got out of the boat, starts walking to him. And uh, it says, all of a sudden, he saw the wind and the waves, and he got worried. And he began to what? Sink. And so he cries out, Lord, save me. And you know he's crying out. Lord, save me. And it says, Jesus, verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I don't skip over this part. It says, Jesus, as soon as Peter called out to him, Jesus immediately, it doesn't say Jesus, once he made Peter sweat, it doesn't say Jesus, once he made Peter worry and suffer just enough, he says, no, immediately he reached out his hand. And we need to learn what it is to take Jesus' hand. Because we're fighting with worldly weapons. And we need to be fighting with godly weapons. And we need to be stepping closer to God. And, and sometimes in my own life, one of the things I've recognized is that I keep trying to live according to self. And when you live according to self, you're living in a sinful nature. And when you're living according to sin, you're going to be separated more from God. And so often, I'm going, where's Jesus' hand? And yet I'm the one stepping away from him, him never away from me. Number five, we need to show gratitude, demonstrate gratitude. Philippians 4, verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, every situation by prayer and petition, it says, with thanksgiving, with gratitude, present your request to God. Present your request to God with thanksgiving, with a great heart. And so often when we're living in anxiety and worry, what we do is we develop a list of complaints. We, do, we develop and build out a list of problems and we present those to God and they're reflective of our worry. But worry never adds any value to your life. And we need to understand that. Why are we giving so much to anxiety, so much to worry, so much to stress? And again, I know sometimes there are chemical imbalances, etc. Hear me say that. But we're giving ourselves to something that has no value. And so we need to show gratitude. And for me, gratitude is less about telling God how great he is. I need to do that. But it's actually more about me being reminded of how, God, how great God is. And so I need to articulate that. Because when I find myself in a place of gratitude, I find the list of complaints that I've built out in my own thinking. I find those, that list dwindling, shrinking, decaying, rotting, going away. And so we need to learn what it is to show gratitude. And then lastly, we need to learn what it is to exchange lies with truth. Um, I told you before, like I was a guy who can never do enough. This shows you, maybe this is you. Um, anybody remember taking algebra? Now, watch this. Did anybody like it? Exactly. I'm just not going to look at you. Um, like there, God did such a great job with creation, but I'm questioning things with algebra. 
algebra was not my friend. I, I didn't understand it. Like, hey, if 2x plus 3z equals h, what's b? I'm like, b wasn't even a part of the equation. It was a major issue for me. And I remember I was like, okay, I'm going to do well in this. I've got to do well. I'm trying to graduate early. I've got to get a good grade in this. It's not looking good so far. And I remember um, my last year, my junior year, and I'm going, okay, I've got to do well in this test. And I, I got teacher's help. I did everything I could. I brought her cookies. I did all kinds of stuff. And I, I took the test. And I, I believe my grade, I think I got an 88. You don't understand, an 88. Like, I didn't even know how to spell algebra, and I made an 88. And you know how long my enthusiasm lasted? About 32 seconds. Because what I had inside my head was, you should have made an A, loser. Anybody else wired that way? Like, I just made an 88 on something I didn't expect to pass. And I allowed Satan to jump in my head and to jump into my heart and to say, but you're still a loser. You're still a failure. You're still not enough. So then I was even more worried, and I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? And, and all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, maybe the world's plans are falling apart. I don't know what to do. And that's, it's a lie. You have worth and value not because of what you can achieve. You have worth and value because of what you've already received and the goodness of Jesus Christ that died, crushed, and annihilated your sin. You don't have to earn it anymore. It's been given to you by the grace of God. And we need to exchange some of the lies that we are allowing to live within our heart and our mind, that we're allowing others to even speak into us. Some of you don't even know that Satan's using you to speak lies into other people when you speak ill of them, when you speak poor of them, when you speak, when you speak evil of them. And you're speaking lies into people, you need to start speaking truth. And we need to exchange these lies with truth. So I'm going to give you four passages. Just write them down because you're going, to, you're going to write them on your mirrors. You're going to write them on the outside of your car. You're going to write them at work, all over the place, and whatever you got to do. I want you to remind yourself of these things so that you can exchange lies with truth. Because when you live in the truth of who God is and what he's done for you, all of a sudden the anxiety and the worry starts to shift. First passage is 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, right? Not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. First John 4:18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord. This is, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. 
So some of you are going, and you don't understand, I'm in the deep end of the ocean, and I feel like, you know, it's the story before, you feel like somebody's pulling you down, but you're in the water, and you feel like you're going to drown, and yet this says, listen, cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. And then Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now this is what the Lord says. This is good. Fear not. For I have what? Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Right? It's that, it's that big ball, right? You, you put the needle in it, it just deflates a little bit. All of a sudden you go, I'm good. I'm going to exchange the lies with the truth. I belong to God. I'm going to exchange lies with truth. I'm going to fight with godly weapons. And watch this. For the Lord has redeemed me. He has called me by name. And I belong to him. So when the lion comes up into my face, I will fight because my God has already defeated the lion and he will continue to defeat the lion. Praise be to God. So Lord, I come before you. And I thank you for your work. I thank you for how you have called us out by name. I thank you for declaring that we're your children. And there are many wrestling with anxiety and worry and how to handle some of these things. But we're going to start taking you by the hand. We're going to show gratitude no matter what. We're going to, to, to fight with godly weapons. We are yours, Lord. We are yours. We belong to you. And so even when the world seems chaotic, as though the, the wind is, like we're Peter on the water, and the wind's blowing, and the waves are getting higher and higher, God, we are going to rest in you. We are going to rest in you. Holy Spirit fill us. Amen.